0: Wasn't that just remarkable? You know, the the music of faith through the centuries, the choral music that's been written is just remarkable, but rarely do you have a choir that can perform it like this one can, so thank you to Glenn and to our choir. That was just stunning. I feel like I should just sit down and be at rest. Our text of scripture comes from 1 Samuel, the third chapter, the calling of Samuel. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us this morning. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, he said. And he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go lie down again. So he went and he lay down. The Lord called again. Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, you have called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer together? And so, Lord, we come, speak, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, power shifts come regularly in life. Once again, last week we saw the Patriots win in the Super Bowl, their sixth championship. But we know that there's a power shift coming in the NFL. How long can Tom Brady really last? How long will Belichick continue to coach? We also have seen this week a list of presidential hopefuls announcing their intention to run for the 2020 presidential election. We've also seen that Nicolas Madero is holding on to power in Venezuela as the opposition leader Juan Guaido declares himself the interim president and his supporters take to the streets demanding new elections. According to Peggy Noonan in yesterday's Wall Street Journal, when Jim Mattis, John Kelly, and H.R. McMaster left the President's administration, a cumulative 123 years of military and diplomatic experience left with them. Power shifts. They occur all the time, with regularity. So it's no real surprise that a power shift occurs in the leadership of the community of faith. Last fall, one of the trustees of Princeton Theological Seminary, Reverend Dr. Blair Money, a retired pastor in Dallas, Texas, finally lost his battle with pancreatic cancer. At the time, Blair was teaching at Austin Seminary on the University of Texas campus in Austin. And he'd been doing that for the past few years, teaching those who were preparing for ministry about the practicalities and realities of ministry. It appeared that his health was going to be declining, so he approached Ted Wardlaw, the president of the Austin Seminary, and he asked if he could lead one more class in September. Ted Wardlaw suggested that he, the president, interview Blair Moni about dying. Ted told me recently it was perhaps the most moving experience he's ever had in a classroom. Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, preached at his memorial service and he wrote an article recently in the Christian Century about his last conversations with Blair Money and also another former trustee of Princeton Seminary who died this past fall, Laird Stewart. It was entitled, Gratitude at the End. And in the article, Craig Barnes writes, As I listened to these two pastors in their last conversations with me and knowing that they were dying the most striking thing to me wasn't their fearlessness at dying. Nor was I in awe primarily of their amazingly sturdy faith, which was why they had so little fear. The thing I keep thinking about is what both of them kept talking about at the end of their lives. Gratitude. Later in the article he writes, this is what the old pastors remember. And why they are so grateful at the end of their lives. They got to spend their years functioning essentially as angels who keep saying, Behold! And they knew the ground of the church was holy even when it was a holy mess. Our text today tells of a time when God's people were in a holy mess. And God initiates a power shift and a new future. Eli, the old pastor, is displaced by his younger protege and his mentee, Samuel. Samuel will go on to provide critical leadership for the community of faith in the future. The roles between the two are reversed. Samuel comes to power. Eli loses power. There's a chance for a newness that's deeply rooted in the faithfulness of many people in this narrative. Samuel's mother Hannah, for instance, believed her son was specially given to her She gave him back to the Lord and to the service in the community of faith. Eli has to yield the power that he has. Israel has this daring doxology, according to Walter Brueggemann, that contributes to this newness of life that's unfolding in the community. Samuel has to make himself available to God and listen for God's voice. And respond obediently and God resolves to do something new in the midst of a public crisis the Lord asserts essentially behold I'm doing a new thing do you not perceive it so what new thing might God be doing in your life and mine What new thing do you think God wants to do in our life together as a church? I mean, Jesus says, ask and you will receive, search and you will find. Are we interested enough to perhaps find out what God may have to say to us and actually listen for it? May we live in an overstimulated world And yet we lack fulfillment. Maybe there's a better way. You see, Samuel was on a meteoric rise in matters of faith and worship. He had all the fundamentals. He was about to displace Eli as God's representative. And like many of us, he started out quite naive and innocent, but that was his power. In the story today, we He kept hearing someone talking to him and wrongly assumed it was Eli, and Eli finally realizes what's going on and tells him to simply listen and invite God to speak. Eli, for his part, was being replaced for cause. His sons were complete jerks, religious phonies, who used their position in their father's employ for self-seeking and personal reward. The Bible calls them scoundrels. No regard for the Lord or for the duties of the priests of the people. Samuel, by contrast, is pure, inside and out. His mother Hannah had prayed for a child, and when she had Samuel, she was so grateful to the Lord that she gave him back to the temple to be raised there as a servant of the Lord. Now, that's the backstory, and it's kind of interesting, but what interests me today is that all the preparation, the belief that God can and will act, the obedience demonstrated by Samuel and his mother Hannah comes down to this exchange, this reversal, this replacement. Samuel for Eli. You know, I've said many times from this pulpit, As others have said, God chooses the unlikely to to accomplish the impossible. Rarely does God choose based upon the same criteria we use when we look for stunning examples of leadership. And this unlikely Samuel, in a time when visions were not widespread and the word of the Lord was rare emerges from his naivete and innocence to become a great leader. The power shift is a turning point in Israel's history. Now Samuel will go on and later has to choose the future king of Israel. And even his confusion is evident when he thinks that the son of Jesse that looks the best must be the one God wants, but Soon he discovers that little David, the runt of the litter, is actually the one with the most heart and the most courage because of his faith. Even Samuel relies too heavily upon the superficial rather than the substantive considerations. Surely, he thinks, God led him to Jesse's family because the tallest and the eldest and the strongest boy is the one who should be king. Eliab was to become the next leader, he thought. And the ironic twist is that God chose the son who wasn't even present. All seven of the brothers were trotted out before the prophet, before the one that was chosen by God emerged. Little David, the youngest, was still at work shepherding the flock, was about to be anointed by Samuel as the shepherd of the people. That was a power shift. You can't judge by the outward appearance of things. Many coaches have underestimated their opponents by misjudging the appearance of the other players rather than their effectiveness as a team. Many employers have overestimated the ability of some applicant Many brides and grooms have misjudged their future spouses by too much attention to external qualities and too little attention to internal qualities. You can't judge by the outward appearance of things. But to avoid the much more time-consuming process of careful analysis, we rely on snap judgments of others. Preconceived categories, even prejudices to size people up. Studies show we tend to think more highly of physically attractive persons than we should. Knowing it's human to judge by outward appearance, especially in the age of television, politicians are careful to portray themselves for the cameras in vibrant, strong, good sense of humor, firm, resolute, And their makeup artists make an indelible impression. So God spoke. God kept speaking several times before he finally connected with Samuel. I wonder how many times the Lord has been trying to speak with you and me. How often has the Lord tried to confront something in us or tried to change our mind or direction or offered to comfort and hold us, but we're simply unwilling and unable on some level to tune in. Maybe God's calling us to some new undertaking, to bring faith, hope, and love to someone we know. Maybe God is calling us to stand up for our faith in some situation that has just become a holy mess. Maybe the Lord is just tapping us on the shoulder and inviting us to slow down, limit the distractions that occupy us from dawn to dusk, and inviting us to a better way of living with a greater sense of purpose and fulfillment. You see, the Lord continues to call the unqualified to do the impossible. Maybe today you will find some calling at our deacon fair out in the courtyard following worship, some opportunity to express compassion and care for someone in the church or in the community. You know, there are seismic shifts that are taking place in our culture today. We all know that fewer people attend church regularly in our country Churches are closing. Our last presbytery meeting, we closed one congregation in this presbytery. No longer is Sunday morning a protected time of the week for worship. There are soccer games and hockey games and baseball games for children and families to participate in. And church culture in our time can feel a little bit like a holy mess. But I still believe The ground of the church is holy even when it is a holy mess. And I'm grateful that I get to spend my years functioning together as one little angel simply saying, Behold, the word of the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. We bring you good news of great joy for all people. For to us a Savior is born. So I can't help but wonder, reading this text, what power shifts are necessary in our life together. Who among us feels unqualified this morning, and yet God may be calling him or her to service in the reign of God? I do have this suspicion that the Lord is calling us as a congregation to more than mediocrity, more than standard operating procedure, more than business as usual in the church. I think sometimes I feel, and maybe you do, a little bit content if the bills are getting paid And things are still happening at the church. As long as it doesn't demand too much from any of us. What if we started to use a slightly different calculus asking the question, what new thing? What new thing is the Lord doing? And how do we participate in it? What if every member of our congregation were mobilized for ministry in some way? What if the power shift that needs to happen in the church is for every one of us to hear the call? Every one of us is gifted, I know that. Every one of us has some contribution to make, I know that. What if we put a little different effort into changing the world in our little part of it here for the sake of those who will follow us? I can tell you this, the church I grew up in, when I went before the congregation for a time with children and when I went through confirmation, nobody would have thought I would have been the one To end up here, (laughs) you just never know. You just never know what new beginning God intends and who will be called to be part of that new beginning. I suggest we simply begin, like Samuel did, by saying, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. God always calls the unqualified to do the impossible. Apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. But with the Lord, all things are possible. Thanks be to God. Amen.